Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, Noodles. Hey, Matt. Good to see you again. Good to see you. It's becoming a regular thing, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Yeah, we're going steady. You keeping well since the last week I spoke to you? <laughs> Very well, actually, yes. A lot more of this, is it? Zooming, 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 zooming. Um, not not too much this week. We only did this week, we only did what Tuesday and, and Friday, I think. Um yeah, um did some other stuff. Yeah, I actually did I got to do this kind of fun thing with um Slim Jim Phantom from uh, the Stray Cats. Yep. Uh, he's doing a, a documentary on Rockabilly. So I got to do that on Monday, go up to Van, a- Van Nuys. And I got to meet uh, Slash from Guns N' Roses and uh, and Fred Armisen the, from Saturday Night Live in Portlandia. Did you not meet Slash back in the day? Were you not sort of on the same um, circuit uh, scene in the 80s? I think we might have shaken you know shook hands once at an awards thing here or there um but never really got a chance to talk so got to you know talk to him a little bit at this thing he gave me one of my favorite answers to any question ever i was talking to him because he used to be a pro bmxer when he was a kid i didn't know that yeah yeah and he was he was like you know he was set to to do it you know but then the music obviously started taking off and i said to him i said slash how do you think your life would have panned out differently had you gone down the bmx road and without missing a beat he just said well i guess i'd be wearing a helmet instead of a top hat 
It's genius. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Just that's really com- good. completely serious deadpan when he said it. Yeah. Well. How funny. If it's all right with you, buddy, my show, the format of this show is more kind of just like informal conversational stories about your life, your journey, um, and, and kind of who you are and the things that have shaped you and inspired you and, and affected you. If, if you're down to kind of just go down the, the noodles memory lane and just have a chat about you and your life. We'll give it a shot. Well, you mentioned the other day, and I saw on your social media, um, you're adopted. And I was wondering yeah. I was wondering how that was for you as like a young man um, when you first learned about that. And because I've had a few people on the show who've talked to me a lot about the impact that that has both, you know, productive and positive. Um, sometimes it goes the other way, too. It seems like obviously you've turned out a very well-rounded individual. So I'm imagining it was, you know, a pleasant and positive experience but how how did you find out first of all and then what was sort of the situation with the the adoption yeah i mean i've i've always known my my parents were pretty honest with with me about it anyway so <laughs> um so i've just always known i didn't really you, you know it wasn't something we talked about a lot though growing up you know uh but i've just always been curious you know cuz since i've always known that i was adopted you, you know um I was curious who's out there. Well, who am I, you know, who are my blood relatives and, and, you know, how am I like them? Um, you know, I mean, there's books written about how this stuff affects people, of course, you know, both good and bad. I mean, you got, you know, people like, uh, you know, John Lennon, who was raised by an aunt, you know, so uh, adopted, you have serial killers who were adopted. <laughs> so, you know, it runs the, runs the gamut on how people, uh, react to to the to the experience i guess yeah i think the most interesting thing that you alluded to there is obviously as human beings we whether we're conscious of it or not we seek answers and connections to our past right and that might even be beyond just our immediate family line like way back like what's my ethnicity what's my family of origin what's my what's my lineage and these things help us define our place in the world and some people i think pay more mind to those sorts of things than others did you ever connect or did you ever reach out and, and try and meet up with either of your biological parents yeah I'm, i actually have a relationship with both of them now we we talk from time to time uh i have siblings that that uh i'm i'm close with now you know more siblings yeah you know. well and, yeah. and has that been like an enriching and rewarding and enjoyable process it has been. Yeah, I'm, I'm very lucky. You know, the, the people that I met are all just really salt of the earth, you know, people. Um, they all went on and, you know, both birth parents went on and, and had families of their own, um, you know, and, and did well for themselves. Um, and I'm, I'm also fortunate that when I when I finally met them, they realized, OK, I'm not their kid, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, at some point they they they're interested in me, you know, as a human being and everything. But they they also know, okay, he's got his own his own life, you know, because I have my own parents. Uh, well, now it's just my dad now, but I still have my own, you know, my own parents, and you know, I have my own family growing up. And you said in our chat the other day that your dad's Mexican. Um, so was Mexican culture a big part of your upbringing, um, or or not? Uh, when we got together with the cousins, um, yeah. my dad is is. Uh, Yeah, my dad was just very, you know, he didn't celebrate his Mexican culture that much. I mean, he would speak Spanish from time to time, 
Um, his, his mother spoke Spanish in the house growing up. She died when he was really young. So that kind of changed. And, uh, uh, so yeah, we, we didn't, I mean, it was just kind of all, all the ways, always around, but my dad didn't celebrate his Mexican culture so much. I think he just tried to, to fit in, you know, it was, you were still kind of looked, looked down upon and, and even in Southern California, if you were Mexican there, you were still kind of treated you know, differently, unfortunately. Um, you know, I think there's a lot more Chicano pride now than, than there ever was, you know, and my dad kind of just, you know, being half German and half Mexican, just focused on putting on a suit and tie and, you know, getting the work done. What about California as well, culturally? What's some of your earliest memories of, you know, that landscape perhaps, but also the the music that was around and the characters that were around, how did they shape your young mind? Because California, for me, particularly in the 70s, a super interesting, diverse, you know, culturally rich place. What are some of your earliest memories of either music and, and artists or just general like Californian culture that began to seep into you? Gosh, yeah, I mean. I mean, I. I, I don't know that I really focused on, on culture so much growing up, you know, uh, it wasn't something I thought about. We, I, where I grew up was very conservative, um, suburban orange County. Um, there was a bunch of us knuckleheads that terrorized that neighborhood. I was one of the kids that was always kind of, I didn't do anything seriously bad. I mean, I knew there's a, there's a line I'm not going to cross, but I hung out with people that did. You know, and we were just on our bikes all day long, you know, at a young age, you know, riding down in ditches, riding through dirt fields, you know, and just kind of terrorizing the neighborhood, um, scaring the old the old people. Um, but as far as like culture, what was going on, I guess it would have been the surfing thing, really. You know, once I became a teenager and started kind of being aware, um, uh, I I did have a really shitty bike that I would ride around on all the dirt fields and we would make motocross tracks. And I love that. And I also love surfing and then skateboarding as, as well, probably skateboarding even before surfing. You still uh, surf now, right? Were you saying you still surf now? Occasionally. I, um, I, it's been a while. I went out a couple months ago and, and it didn't go well, <laughs> um, but, uh, but I've lost some weight and I'm, I'm trying to get back in shape and, and, uh, I'm going to give it another shot here. It's, uh, uh, weather's warming up and, uh, there's actually going to be some big waves this weekend. I might, I might wait till the waves drop down again. Um, but I guess that would be like the first, you know, my first m memories of Southern California as a culture, Yeah, you know, there, there always was the, you know, the, the Latin thing going on, you know, but I didn't really grow up in that. Um, you know, like I said, when my dad got together with cousins and stuff, I would get a lot more about that, that cultural pride, you know, that, that my dad just didn't, he didn't think about it. He wasn't ashamed that he was Mexican, but he didn't, we didn't talk about that. We would take trips down to Mexico and down to San Diego to visit my aunt and stuff. Um, you know, and, and that was all bitching. That was because it was kind of like a new world, you know, but my, my dad, so I'm, I'm trying to just answer the question culturally. I'm, I'm doing a deep dive in my own brain here. You That's know, good. That's what we want. That. That's yeah. what we want. And ultimately, Noodles, there are no answers. I'm not looking for any answers as much as just trying to, you know, get to know right. you. And 
and hear your story. And and for me, I guess skateboarding, you mentioned skateboarding and punk rock in Southern California were hand in hand. I mean, did you spot any of like the Dogtown and, and Z-Boys crew and, and the, you know, the kind of fame, whether it was Tony Alva or Jay Adams, did you ever run into any of those guys going to shows? Because they were on the scene, right? And the, the scenes did cross over a lot, the early punk and the, the skate and the surf scene. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't remember ever being at shows with those guys uh, back in the day. I had a Dogtown board. It was my, and I saved up, you know, all summer to to buy the Dogtown board. And then my brother, we were just talking about this. My brother uh, left it at a friend's house, and it rolled out in the street and got run over by the like the their dad or something. And and no, I, I wanted to kill my brother. I know it was like I was so proud of that board, you know. And it was a bitchin' board. I loved riding it. Um, but, you know, the, the punk rock thing kind of happened later. Obviously, you know, I was into skating long before I got into punk rock for, you know, a few years anyways, three or four years. Same with surfing. You know, I got into that before I really got into to the punk rock thing. So I got into surfing and surfing about 12, 13, 14, and then uh, skating even before then, probably. And punk rock, was it a band? Was it a, a kid at school? What was your exposure to that scene? Yeah, it was, it was, uh, uh, some friends that I grew up with. My, my younger brother borrowed two records from them. It was Nevermind the Bullocks and it was a white vinyl EP of the Dickies. And, uh, those are the two records. And then I was like, what is this? What is, you know, then what is punk rock? What is this I'm listening to? And that was it. You know, after that, it was all over, um, you know, started doing a deep dive in that. Cause before that it was, it was like, my dad's records and my cousins, I had older cousins and I would listen to that. And my next door neighbor was an older kid, uh, just full on drug addict, <laughs> you know, who uh, played rock stuff. So, you know, it was the who the stones and I still love all that stuff. Uh, but punk rock was the first time when I was like, Oh, this music is me. This is, this is mine. You know, I want, I can't, I, I can't believe this exists. It's so good. You know? Yeah, and when you're young, you're obviously the right age to get switched on to something like that because of the energy, the place it's coming from. But a lot of people obviously will get into it for a bit and then they grow out of it. And it's obviously the people like yourself that make not just a career out of it, but it's in you, isn't it? And I think with a lot of people who fall into punk rock, it's something that stays in you for life because I think those lessons that you learn through the music, the connections you make, the ideas that are shared, that is for life, isn't it? I truly believe that. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I, I just uh, played some music, DJ'd, DJ'd at a, uh, a punk rock uh, art. Uh, it was I, just, actually... I just had Emily on the show, Emily Nielsen. Oh, Emily's yeah. great. She's yeah. just phenomenal. Amazing. She's doing just great things. So, yeah, so for her punk rock and paintbrushes uh, book release thing yep. and, and signing and stuff. And so I'm talking to, to Josh from the Vandals, who we've been playing with for, you know, 25 years. Uh, Jim from Pennywise, who we've been playing with since 93. Um, you know, all these people we kept running into. Joe Escalante. It's funny with Joe Escalante. He and I were in we went to the same church growing up and we were in the same confirmation class. Wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's St. Hedwig's Catholic Church. I've since left the church and really don't want to have anything to do with it, where it's it's still something that he's very very fondly embraced um but yeah it's funny we just still you know hook up after all this all this time all those bands uh no effects you know fat mike run into him all the time um melvin was at this thing you know uh so yeah it is it's 
you know, it's, and everyone's a little different. It's not like, you know, we're all, you know, everyone's just different, but it's all punk. They, you know, they appreciate each other. And, and yeah, I love that. Yeah, it runs deep. It runs deep. And and what's really fascinating for me as an English guy, and obviously, you know, you would have had the same thing with looking at the London scene with bands like the Sex Pistols and the Damned and the Jam and all those groups, the Clash. And it's it's always interesting to me when like a huge, you know, kind of pond of bands come from a, quite a small place. Obviously, California is massive, but like if you're looking at all the bands that you know went on to inspire the generation that you would become a part of, you look at like TSOL and the adolescents and right. all those bands are like, yeah, as you say, you go to school with each other. Like, you know, you see like the Descendants documentary and you see like, oh, Bill, Bill Stevenson used to work with Keith Morris' dad at his tackle shop. And yeah, right. <laughs> it's wild that all these kids <coughs> down the road from each other, and like conquering the world with their music. Yeah, I, in a way, it is kind of like a small, small world, you know, for sure. Um, you know, at the same time, like I'll, I'll, I'll be in Europe and I'll run into the guys from the Hyder Roses. Uh, and, you know, those guys are playing a very similar kind of music to what we did, you know. Um, who else? Mill and Colin, run into those guys. Uh, you know, no fun at all from Sweden also, just, you know. Um, but yeah, to to, <clears throat> to be part of the scene in, in SoCal. And, and I think there are other scenes as well. I'm trying to think there, you know, are there scenes that fractured out of that that I'm not really part of or friends with um you know most of them i all i i know i guess yeah I, I, I'm, I'm trying to think if there's anything where where people don't know each other well i don't like i don't know keith morris i've never met keith morris never um, no, i'm a big amazing. fan yeah he's got a great book i just picked up jack grisham's book uh, i haven't read that yet but i can't wait to read it and the brand um, new one i haven't got the new one yet i read uh was american nightmare or whatever yeah that was good American Demon, that's the one I bought. American Demon. Yeah, I can't wait to dive into it. And what's your memories of some of the early shows? Because everybody that I've spoken to, I love hearing about those early shows because they just sound so anarchic and chaotic, in many cases violent and genuinely dangerous as well, but thrilling and exciting all the same. Uh, Are there any early kind of iconic shows in your young mind that stand out as just like, whoa, like that would never happen now and, and what an amazing experience to be a part of then? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, the stage dives, I mean, first of all, you wouldn't, I don't think you would ever be able to have that all the people packed into these small clubs. Most, most places you can't get away with that now. Um, there are still parts of the world where you can, and there's still kids doing this underground stuff. That's pretty rad. I don't know. You, you probably heard about the wacko show at the Denny's out here, you know? Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's still things that are happening that you that probably shouldn't, <laughs> um, but it's good that they, they do as long as nobody gets physically hurt, you know, it's all good. Um, but I remember going to fenders and it, it really was scary and other places too, in, in LA and stuff where there was different gangs and the, the gangs would kind of post up in their territory in the corner. And you had to be really careful when you went into those corners, you know, whether it was the suicidals or the, you know, LMP, um, you know, the skinheads certainly were always, and those were the, the skinheads were the ones you could always tell who they were. You know, they had a uniform um, and you had to watch out for those guys. So they would just pick a guy out because they didn't like his long hair. And sometimes I would have long hair at shows, um, you know, depending on my mood at the time or whether I could afford a haircut. 
<laughs> your hair was super long when the offspring blew up like that's kind of one of those early was, images of yeah. the band for me is like <laughs> jay maskis length like super super long uh, it wasn't that long but yeah it was it was it was pretty it was long for sure i don't know if it was jay maskis <laughs> worthy but yeah but i would and i would go from long to short long to short quite a bit you know i just when i get fed up with it i'd shave it off just something new you know did you ever get called a hippie for the long hair? Because that obviously all the time, yeah. yeah. People thought I smoked pot all the time because I had long hair, you know, and they would just assume. And I was never really into pot that much. Parijuana, I call it, because it makes me so so paranoid. I haven't smoked. Yeah, it exactly. Fifteen years. One dragon. I'm just like total mental freak out. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I can't have a conversation. You know, I enjoy it when. Everything's quiet, you know, like I'm, I'm in the mountains watching the stars or something, you know, um, I can't be at a show. I can listen to music and I get it. I understand how that, you know, being high it helps with that or, or, or changes. I don't know, helps, you know, it makes you enjoy music in a different, different way. And I get all that, but I can't be around people. I could never go to a concert stoned. I would just, I would be paranoid and freaking the fuck out. And certainly yeah. not play one, right? And certainly not be on stage. No yourself. way, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I know people that can. I know people that can't play without being stoned, and that just blows me away. A lot of people who came out of that scene at that time, obviously, you know, went down the hard road with drinking drugs, and many of them had many of them had to get clean. Uh, you obviously have, it seems to me, you know, knowing you in the loosest way possible, that you've got a very healthy relationship with alcohol. You enjoy a drink, but it hasn't you know, had a negative impact on your life. How have you walked that road in your life where it's always been something that, you know, you can take or leave, you can enjoy? Um, because there's so few people for, from all of music, really, at a certain age, but certainly in the punk scene, like almost everybody that I speak to is like a sober person now. Um, how have you managed to keep a lid on it? I don't know that I always have. Um, I think I, there's been times when I've let it become a daily thing, you know, and, you know, where I'm at the beginning of the pandemic, I was drinking from five in the evening until I went to bed every night, you know, just kind of slowly cruising throughout the night. Um, you know, I never really was woke up and, and needed to, a bracer to just get through my day. You know, it was never like that. But, I, you know, I, I don't know that I always have kept it, you know, under wraps the way, you know, that would so that it was healthy. I think there's been times when I've been unhealthy in my drinking. Um, right now, I'm I'm drinking occasionally, but I'm really looking forward to my next drink. <laughs> I haven't had one. It's been a week, and, but I'm really looking forward to the next one. Um, you know, and you, you never know if it, if it becomes bad enough, I you know, where I have to quit for good. You know, I've always been able to, when it's gotten bad, I've always been able to quit for lengths of time, you know, uh, over a year one time. Not recently, just a couple of years ago, I quit for a whole year. Um so, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, that struggle is real. And, and, you know, I know a lot of friends that are, you know, fully sober guys, and it's the best thing in the world for them, you know. And then I know people that are still drinking way more than they should, you know. I, I fear I might be in that category, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's it's something in my life as well that it's always like the love-hate relationship thing, the push and the pull. Yeah. And it's funny, it's interesting because, like, so many relationships that I've formed over the years have been born out of that. They're not defined by it, and that's not the crux of it. But, you know, in this industry, it's, you know, because it's, it's a social environment and you're up shows, exactly, you're backstage yeah. after shows, drinks are flowing. And so many positive memories and experiences <clears throat> and connections have come from it um, that, yeah, it's kind of just it, it can be one or the other, can't it? It's always the ongoing. Yeah. Well, we, you know, 
when we're playing a show, we we know people in almost every city now. We have friends and and then just fans and and people that you know show up and it's their night to party. It's our fifth night, you know, of playing a show that week. And uh, they want to, you know, they want to drink. They want to, you know, they want to buy me a shot or whatever. They want to buy me a beer. And I really appreciate it. But I, it's, I'm at the point where, man, I can't do that every night. It's not, it's just not healthy. Um, and, but I do, I do do it every night when I'm on the road. It gets to that point where you're there. I try not to. And, you know, it, it, it happens. So that's, that's the struggle. You know, how do you keep that? How do you keep that balance where I can have a few drinks and enjoy myself, you know, without it becoming a, a health issue? Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You said you're not a part of the church that you were growing, uh, growing up in um, anymore, but are you spiritual anyway? Would you call yourself a spiritual person? Do you have that side of life that helps guide you, direct you, keep you connected, focused, grounded, or not? I think so. I think I've always been that. I think, I think music's a big part of that feeling, feeling, you know, that we're all connected somehow, you know, uh, in this world. Um, you know, I don't, I don't spend a, I, I try to be mindful and, you know, maybe meditation is a little bit more, you know, I think there's, there's energy that connects us, you know, but I don't, I don't have any kind of word for it. I don't believe in a God really, you know, but I do think there's some kind of force that connects us all, you know, as people and even really with the, with the world in, in general, you know, we're all connected somehow, but beyond that, I don't really have a, you know, any kind of serious belief or anything. I found that a lot of people who surf like their spirituality really comes from their connection to nature. And through that, because surfing, <clears throat> as well as being a sport, is a very, you know, I've, I've never surfed myself, but I can imagine when you're riding that wave, like that must be a pretty meditative, like Zen, gnarly state, right? In a way, in a, in a lot of ways, though, you're also amped up, you know, uh, especially if you're riding big waves. 
you know, when it's coming, but, but yeah, there's no feeling in the world, especially when you get, when you get barreled, when you get in the, in, in the tube and you're completely covered, you're riding this thing and the energy is all around you. There's, it's an incredible, that's an incredible feeling. It's an incredible accomplishment, incredible feat. It doesn't happen that often for, for most of us surfers, <clears throat> but yeah, there's, there's no feeling in the world like that. But at the same time, you're like, Oh, I got, I gotta have this, you know, it's really, it's an aggressive kind of sport. Um, in a lot of ways, then you see like the soul surfers with the old single fin, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm, I think that's more my style of surfing now. You know, in fact, I've got a, a really bitching old single fin shaped by an old uh, pipeline surfer, Rory, Rory Russell, who's kind of like an old soul surfer. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna wax that up and take that out. I don't know if I'll take it out this weekend. We'll see how big it gets. <clears throat> I love it. Yeah, I need to get in the water someday and try it. It's always been something that's really appealed to me. And yeah, it's. I mean, obviously, there's not a lot of surf going on in the UK, and the, the water's freezing. But yeah, yeah, it's pretty cold out there. Places where there's some spots where you get some waves. I, I, you know, I've seen, I've seen people surf in the UK. Yeah. Would Would you ever surf in the UK if you had a day off from tour noodles? If the invitation was extended, probably not. I think there's <laughs> other things I would do. Yeah. What do you like to do in the UK when you got some days off? Uh eat and drink, <laughs> um, you know, tool around. I just like getting out in the cities and just kind of walking around and exploring, you know, um, you know, find a nice park to, to walk through, find a, you know, a nice, you know, interesting place to eat. Um, there's a lot, a lot of great things to do in the UK. Do you get recognized? Cause you're a very recognizable dude. And, and are you all right with, you know, I guess fame, um, you know, comes with many, trappings but i think the cool thing about like a punk level of fame is it's only really punks who are going to recognize you you know rather than like a pop star who's getting recognized by everybody and just accosted everywhere they go so do you get recognized and is it a level that you're comfortable and cool with or or sometimes is it a bit like oh my god you're conscious of going out and wanting to just blend in and chill and yeah no you know fortunately with this hair i can just put on a hat and uh and kind of, you know, go out and walk around. If, if I ever do feel like I just want to be left alone and, but, but I don't get recognized that much. If I'm out, let's say I'm walking around the city of London, I might get recognized. Um, I might not probably, probably 50, 50, but it's always very cool. It's usually, and like you said, it's a punk fan, you know, who's really, you know, into the music, you know, most people aren't going to recognize me. I get a lot of, Hey, cool hair, bro. You know, <laughs> actually a lot of it in, in the, in the United States, it's, it's, uh usually black women love my hair it's it's the coolest thing in the world they just fawn over me it's it's pretty bitching (laughs) i love it and fame for you have you seen like the negative effects of it on on those you know close to you because i think what's cool about the offspring is although you're a massive band and have sold loads of records like a billy joe armstrong for instance he's super instantly recognizable and i guess did you guys make a conscious decision early on with the promoting the visual presentation of the band to kind of make it more about the music and not trying to be, you know, cover stars or. There was a little bit about that. Yeah. You know, we always kind of, well, part of it is we just always felt like we had faces for radio. (laughs) Uh, So there, there's some of that, I think, Um, you know, I don't think we're bad looking guys really overall, but we just kind of thought let's, let's let the music speak for itself. Let's, hold us back a little bit and only recently we the last few years really we started to kind of i guess with with the like the last record when we rolled that out um 
focus more on we like we did our first ever TV shows played live on TV. That was that wasn't until days go by. Wow, I've never done that before. Um, so yeah, it was it was kind of like uh, you know back in the day there was a little bit let's let the music speak for itself and and you know kind of be mysterious about you know what we look like and yeah. and that was the time when you could do that as well. Like how I know you're on Instagram. Um, how do you sort of feel and, and get along with this new digital age of information and social media that we're in? And I know you've got kids as well, so that obviously probably keeps you connected to a different side of it too. Um, do you see it as a positive force in society? Does it trip you out? I, I don't know that. Yeah, what, what I like about uh, social media and the digital age is the immediacy with which I can speak to fans and you know, shoot the shit, but it's, it's 140 characters. I don't, I can't really have an in-depth conversation with them. <laughs> you know, I can't, I have a hard time sitting down and reading a book nowadays because I want to read it in 140 character chunks. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> My brain really is kind of, kind of, I, I, you know, so I have to kind of step away from all social media from time to time. Um, you know, I have a love hate relationship with Facebook, even though it's mostly friends and family that I'm that I deal with on Facebook. Um, I guess yeah, especially I, when the politics started stirring as well. Right. Because there was a point yeah. in time where all of a sudden Facebook went from like pictures of, you know, your dog or your family or like just a funny video. And it went from all of that to overnight. I, it felt like for me, at least here in the UK, overnight, like everybody just ramming up their political, not even like engagements, just here's my opinion. And and if you disagree, get out of here kind of thing. And it started to get a bit nasty, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I've, I've, uh, I've had to at least unfriend people on Facebook, you know, uh, you know, and that was, you know, I, I was off Facebook and then the pandemic hit and I thought, well, I got to see, you know, make sure people, my people are okay, you know, surviving this thing. So I got back on Facebook and that was my intent just to check on people. But, you know, there was so much politics involved with all of it. And that I couldn't believe that they were politicizing the pandemic, the virus just became ridiculous, just became ridiculous. So, yeah, so I lost a lot of friends, uh, at least on Facebook over that. You know, I, I will now that we're starting to meet in person again, it'll be interesting to see how many of those relationships can survive. How have you coped in yourself with the last year? Obviously, as somebody who's so used to being out on the road and it's not just how you earn money. You know, it's it's your life, isn't it? It's your community. As you say, you've got friends all over the world. This is for you how you define yourself and your relationship to the world around you. I know I've taught myself loads over the years. And when I found that I wasn't going to be going away for a while, it felt like a part of me had been ripped apart without you know my choice. Um, and, and everybody who's in this industry has had their own struggles and coping mechanisms. But how, how has it been for you and how have you remained sane and positive and, and you know, grounded in this madness? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's been, it's been tough on everybody, but I'm in a, I think a uniquely uh, fortunate position to be able to weather something like this. Um, you know, I know a lot of, a lot of my friends and family are struggling to, to kind of get through it. Um, so I was drinking a lot, <laughs> you know, that's a, and that wasn't healthy. And eventually I had to stop that, you know, um, and just getting out more. Um, I live in a really beautiful part of the world. I can get out and, you know, go for a bike ride and, you know, run along the beach, you know, uh, do all of that. Uh, 
And I, and everybody seems to have been doing that because even in the depths of winter, the beach has been packed this year, like, in, like on a, on a Wednesday afternoon, you know, most people would be at work. No, the beach has been packed all year long. People are just getting out more. You know, I think people are working from home more. People aren't, you know, driving and, and going to work as much and not meeting indoors. Everyone's outdoors. So I, you know, I think I finally jumped on that and started doing more of that. I've always spent time outside, even when I was drinking heavily, <laughs> you know, get out and spend time outside. It's so key to mental health being outside. Like the physical exercise yeah. obviously is a big part of it, but just being connected to nature, the fresh air, and it really, it helps you realize our place in the world. I think you can kind of get bogged down with the, the information, disinformation and, you know, entertainment and media and social media, and it can all become so overwhelming. And then you yeah. just step outside and you're around trees or waves and you're just like, ah, like i'm good yep. Re reset has been hit and life's okay absolutely absolutely i've got a have got a buddy who's got a boat and he'll take me out fishing from time to time and that's that's great for both of us you know just to get out of our heads how's your relationship after all these years uh, i'd love to just hear a little bit about the creative partnership and the friendship that you share with dexter um because you know it's so long now that you guys have been in this very kind of close-knit experience and you've toured the world together and created together and ridden these waves of success and everything um i'd love to just get an insight into you know your create your creative and personal relationship and what that's like just you know going through life and the highs and lows that you've been through in such close proximity with one in individual over all this time yeah I, I mean dexter's the creative you know element of this band he writes all the all the music um he's the front man the singer um you know, I'm kind of the, the, uh, comic relief, you know, the, the sidekick, <laughs> um, to, to that, you know, I guess Axel had slash and Dexter's got noodles. Um, and are you, are you totally happy with that role? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not mad at it, <laughs> you know, um, I'm, I'm, I'm there when a lot of the creation happens. I'm in here in the studio, you know, when he's coming up, Usually he comes to the studio with an idea. Then sometimes he experiments while we're here. So I'm here when things are getting fleshed out. The song will usually be, you know, we'll have the idea for the, the verse, chorus, melody, you know, certainly all the vocal melodies are all his. Sometimes I get to be here and help out with guitar parts. Like what, what can we play here? You know, I'll throw down some stuff and, and, uh, and see what sticks. Um, so I do get to help out with the creation. It's not like I'm not, you know, part of that. Um, but I do recognize that Dexter's got an ability there that is beyond mine. Um, and, and that's just the way it is. You know, his, his ability to come up with a melody, you know, a drum beat, you know, um, a riff to, to start with. So he comes up with, you know, some great stuff. I can add to that once we start, once we were in here and, and start, you know, putting the songs together and fleshing them out. But I think he's, his, his ability to, to just write songs is, is beyond mine and uh, that's just the way it is so and on a personal level like he's i mean what would the relationship there be because it's more than friendship right at this stage it's it's its own unique beast yeah we really are like like brothers that have been through this thing together you, you know that that uh have a whole lot of love and respect for each other we're also going to tell each other you know when we're fucking up <laughs> you know and, and point that out eh, i'm not so sure that's how you're going to want to do that you know um you know, so there's, there's uh, some of that. There's a lot of times when we just like on a night off on tour, Hey, let's 
let's get the bottles out. You know, let's let's have a night, and uh, and we get to do a lot of that as well. Um, and just talk ideas about not just about uh, the band and what we should be doing, but the world. You know, what do we see happening in the world, and what are our thoughts about that? A family. You know, we both have families now. You know, how how are we dealing with that? Um, you know, and and just kind of lean on each other, going through all that stuff. Yeah, I think that's the key, isn't it? Whether it's a marriage or, you know, you're in a band with somebody or even just a friend, communication and the ability to communicate about, you know, deep things in life, not just day to day small talk, but where you're at with your own personal journey and your engagement with the larger picture. Uh, I think that especially when you're on the road, you've got to be able to sit down and chop it up, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and and it's just really comfortable all of that between us, how we, how we, you know, talk about things. Um, we're very different in how we like to tour and travel. Um, I travel mostly with the, with the rest of the guys in the band and Dexter kind of likes to, Dexter likes to show up at the venue kind of last minute. Most of the time, if there's a festival we're playing and there's some bands he, he wants to see, he'll come in early or we're playing with friends and he wants to, come in and say, Hey, any of the Pennywise, bad religion, no effects guys. He's always, you know, wants to come in and check in with those guys. Um, otherwise he likes to show up, you know, late, you know, just warm up and go on out and do it where the rest of us kind of show up, do sound check, you know, get some food, you know, hang out and get a feel for the venue, you know, warm up for hours, just playing guitar backstage. Um, you know, we, we do have different, different ideas on, on what or or just different ways we enjoy touring. Yeah. That um, makes sense. He's a lone wolf. Yeah. You know, he is he, in a lot of ways. And he, and you know, I, I also, we all know the focus is way more on him than it is on anyone else in the band. He is the, the, the front man. And, and so, you know, you asked me if I get nervous going out in public, I don't really, you know, because it's, it's, I'm not, such a focus. I think he has a little bit, little bit more, you know, he certainly the focus is more on him. And so, so the pressure is a little bit more on him, you know, so he would like to put on the sunglasses and the hat more often than, than I would. Makes sense, man. Um, I think we're pretty much out of time, so I'm going to, going to wrap it there, but I wanted to say, uh, just thank you so much for letting me be a part of the rough trade thing. And thanks so yeah, much for the conversation. You were brilliant on that. Thank you for the, for all the help with that. You were great on that. It was my pleasure, man. My pleasure. And really nice chatting to you and getting to know you today. Yeah, it's it's been an amazing journey, isn't it? And, and you must feel very humbled and, and grateful by everything that this little thing called punk rock has, has afforded Absolutely. you in your life, right? Who would have thought? Who would have thought? I mean, it still kind of blows me away when you think about it, you know, from when we were making Smash to where we find ourselves today. Oh, yeah. Knock wood. You know. Well, I hope we can meet up and have a beer when you're over here, man. Yeah, we'll see you in November.
the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.